Well, would you open up your Bibles in front of you? Um, Our passage comes from a larger section. It might be good to have your Bibles open to James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. Josh began this new sermon series a few weeks back, and really our passage is part of a uh, larger context. But uh, if you don't have a Bible in front of you, that's all right. I'll kind of explain it a bit. Now, it is possible that today's sermon could be the best one you've ever heard. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Well, not so much because I'm the one preaching or I'm gifted in preaching, but because of what this passage tells us. It tells us, listen, that in the midst of life's greatest struggles, God will give you exactly what you need to endure with hope. And what we'll see is that God will give you what you need most just by asking. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, we must know his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have recorded in your living word truth, wisdom for us to receive this morning. We pray that your spirit would have his work in us, that we would be changed in the moment to more and more trust you, uh, turn to you, and ask for wisdom from you, we pray. Amen. You know, I don't think there's a single person in this room who cannot benefit from these words in Scripture. All of us regularly face trials, some so bad that we may even despair of life. If your Bible is open, you will see that our passage is part of a larger section. It's about enduring trials with joy. James is writing to Christians who were they were scattered far away from Jerusalem And Christians back in in the ancient Greco-Roman world, they were vilified by their neighbors. They were cut off from the marketplace. They were ostracized. They were mocked. They were ridiculed. And some were rounded up, imprisoned, and even killed. Now, good news is you and I will probably not be imprisoned anytime soon, but we all endure trials in this life. There is so much brokenness in hardship and suffering in all of our lives. For instance, a number of you are enduring the trial of singleness. Deep in your soul, you know what God knows. You know that it is not good for man or woman to be alone. God made us for relationships with the opposite sex. Problem is, finding a mate is really hard out here on the East End. You're committed to marrying a Christian, and there's not many out here. Your heart longs for companionship. And because God hasn't perhaps delivered a spouse yet, you are tempted to do a number of things. 
instead of waiting on the Lord, you can be tempted to believe that the Lord does not care for you. Perhaps you can blame God. Perhaps take matters into your own hands. Perhaps even convince yourself that God's standards for your mate no longer apply to you. He or she doesn't need to love the Lord. Just be a nice person with a good paycheck that makes you feel good. This is just one example of the trials we face. For others, it could perhaps be a horrible medical diagnosis or a difficult marriage. It could be financial hardship, perhaps a dead-end job, the loss of a loved one. Now, think of the hardship, perhaps, that you've gone through recently. What is it usually that we ask for? The first thing we ask of God when we find ourselves suffering in the middle of a trial Do we not say, God, get me out of here, or God, fix this fast? When trials come our way, we often want the wrong things. We want God to rescue us, to extract us from this situation, or we want God to fix the problem sooner the better. But James's words here correct us. They help us to see the right approach to trials. In the three verses before ours, James says that we are to, what, count it all joy when we face various trials. Why? Because God uses them for our good, to transform us, to make us more like his son, Jesus Christ. And now in our passage, um, James helps us to answer the question. If we aren't to ask God to rescue us from our trials, then what are we to ask of him instead? We are to ask him for what? Wisdom. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God and it will be given him. When trials come our way, the best thing you can do is turn to God and ask for wisdom. That's the point we are going to see here this morning. We're going to divide our time into four areas. First, we're going to look at the allure, then the asking, then the attitude, then the anchor. The allure, the asking, the attitude, the anchor. First, the allure of wisdom. When we say something is alluring, it means that it's attractive or it's desirable. Wisdom from God is alluring. Why? Because only wisdom from God can steady you when you're suffering under trials. I'm going to quickly list five reasons why wisdom is alluring. First is this. God could be using some trial in your life to lead you to him. You know, when I was a smug atheist living for my own glory about 20 years ago, God placed me in a pit of despair so that I would, what, cry out to him. Only then did I see that I was lost and separated from my creator. Only then did I come to confess my sins and trust in Christ. God used a season of despair in my life to make me his child. (laughs) Looking, let me ask you this question. Was God being good to me when he brought despair into my life? He was, wasn't he? Looking back, I see the wisdom of it all. If God didn't allow this trial into my life, I would still be lost in sin. Another reason the wisdom of God is alluring is that God may be chastising you as his child to to turn you away from sin. Let me ask you, if you love material possessions and wealth, above God? Is God being good to you if he creates a financial crisis in your life? 
Or maybe you're building your identity around success at work. Is God being good to you if he turns your business career on its head? Yes. When we find ourselves in the midst of trials, wisdom from God will help us to ask good questions like, God, did you send this trial into my life so that I could change? Is there some sin pattern that has a grip on me that you're, that you're trying to strip away from me? Is there anything for which I need to repent? God uses trials in our lives to, for us to see our sinful patterns so that we can become more and more like Christ. The wisdom of God is alluring for another reason. God actually may be preparing you for greater service. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is when young David is standing before King Saul and, and they're on the battlefield and Goliath has been taunting the Israelites and David hears the taunts and he comes to the king and he says, let me add him. I will get rid of him for you. And um, King Saul, remember what he did? He, he looked at David, he saw how puny and tiny he, he is and he says, oh no, there's no way you can win in a battle against Goliath. And remember what David said. He pointed back to a period of time when he was shepherding his father's flocks. And he said, you know what? When I shepherded my father's flocks, there was times when lions attacked and bears attacked. And guess what? God delivered me and I killed them. And he says, now know this King Saul, the same God who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from this Philistine. See, God brought trials into David's life to prepare him for greater victories. So too, you and me. Another reason God allows trials into your life is so that you can have wisdom to help others in the midst of their trials. Who better to help someone who's just lost a loved one than someone who has also experienced loss? Who better to help someone through an addiction than someone who has overcome addiction? Who better to help someone through a struggling marriage than someone who has had struggles in their marriage? Our problem when we are in trials is that we lack the wisdom to see that God is allowing hardships so that perhaps others could later benefit from the wisdom we experience in our hardships. Lastly, God may use the wisdom he gives you to do what? Yeah, what we kind of long for, find our way out of the situation. Instead of running around with chickens with our heads cut off, the wisdom of God can lead us out of a trial. But he leads us out of the trial in the manner that God desires to lead us out of the trials, not by our own means, not by our own escape. So do you see the allure of wisdom? Without wisdom, you lack perspective on what you were going through. You will not see your trial from God's perspective. You will not be able to understand God's reasons for allowing it into your life. Your relationship with God will become what? It will become strained. Your prayer life will suffer. You will lack joy. But wisdom from God changes everything for you in your trials. It gives you perspective. It gives you hope. It gives you purpose. And it can even give you joy in the midst of your trials. Now, are you beginning to see how wrong it is to only ask God for rescue? Next time you're suffering a trial, will you remember the allure of wisdom? Now the question perhaps should be, how do we get God's wisdom? And wouldn't it be a shame if wisdom from God was only for the one percenters, the really wealthy ones, or the Ivy League graduates? 
thankfully, James tells us that that God gives wisdom generously to all who ask. Wisdom from God is yours for the asking. Look at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. James makes it seem so simple, right? Just ask God and he gives wisdom generously. Now, how can we know this is true? How can we know that wisdom for God, from God is ours just for the asking? First, listen. It is God's nature to give. God is a giving God. In fact, Greek New Testament scholars, they will point out that the little Greek wording here in this passage, what James wrote, is, is it reads more like this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask the giving God. James calls God the giving God. Listen, at the core of who God is, is his giving nature. It's God's nature to give. Jesus described his father in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember what he said? He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For for everyone who asks, receives. Whoever seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. It is God's nature to give. Do you believe this? We also know that wisdom from God is ours just for the asking because God's gifts are unrestricted. How do we know? James doesn't just say that God gives. He says he gives generously to all. The word translated generous is the same word that Jesus used uh, to describe a, a sound eye. Literally, it means single. Like, like um, in other words, you're not plagued with double vision. You're able to focus. It's a the noun form is is single-mindedness. Now this same single-mindedness with generosity is what James wants us to see here. God is purposeful in his giving. He is focused on his giving. He's not double-minded in how he gives to you and to me. Let us rejoice that James helps us to see that that we pray to the giving God who gives to all with single-mindedness of generosity. Also, James helps us to see that that God's welcome never fails. James tells us that the giving God gives to all generously, and then we read this word, without reproach. What does he mean by reproach? Have you ever given to somebody and said something like this? Okay, I'll loan you some more money. But whatever happened to the money I gave you last time? Right? It's like this little dig in their giving, right? You know, trying to make you feel a little guilty, right? Have you ever said something like that? Maybe? I don't know. Uh, that is giving with reproach. Know this. The Lord does not give that way. God does not, doesn't hold, um, our asking against us. He doesn't say, you better use this wisdom well, or that's the last you get. Nor does he withhold his gifts because of our failings in the past. Oh, you're coming for wisdom again? You didn't use it too well last time. I don't think so. He is the giving God, listen, who gives generously without reproach. What welcome news for us today. 
the wisdom that you and I desperately need during our trials, God freely gives to all who ask. So James helps us to see the allure of wisdom. There's no greater gift that God can give you in the middle of your trials. And James shows us the wisdom um, that we desire, that God generously gives it to us without holding anything back. Now let's look at the attitude. There can only be two responses to God's offer, the attitude of belief or the attitude of doubt. The big idea here is this. As we pray for wisdom from God, we pray with faith, not with doubt. Now, what does he mean? Now, what is faith? Well, first, what isn't faith? You know, some people look at faith like it's a muscle, like it's something that you build up over time. And if you just have enough of it, well, then, of course, your prayers will come true. Just exercise the muscle and God will say, oh, if you finally had enough faith, I'm going to answer that prayer. Right. You ever feel that way or think that way? If you just have enough belief, then God will have to help you or make you prosperous. We call this the health and wealth gospel. That isn't how faith works. Faith isn't a muscle. Faith isn't effective because of you. It's the object of your faith that saves you, not the level of your faith. If Christ is the object of your faith, he saves you. No matter how strong your faith is. Isn't that wonderful? All of God's promises to his people come because God is the faithful one, not because we are full of faith. Your faith in Christ could be very weak. It could be all but shriveled up like a weak little muscle. But so long as Jesus is the object of your weak faith, all of God's promises to his people are guaranteed to you. So God doesn't answer your prayer for wisdom because you have a large amount of faith. He answers your prayers for wisdom because even if your faith is faint, it is he who gives wisdom and he is the giving God who does not withhold his gifts. So James here is talking about believing prayer. Believing prayer says, I believe the Lord. Help me with my unbelief. This is you saying to God, Father, my faith is weak, but you are strong. But I trust you in these trying circumstances. I don't know why. I don't know why I'm in this circumstance, but I'm trusting you with my circumstances. So, Father, would you be pleased to help me? Would you give me wisdom? Isn't this encouraging? It isn't how much faith you have, but in whom your faith is placed. If your faith is placed in Christ, then wisdom is yours for the asking. And not because of how much faith you have, but because of how much God loves you, ye of little faith. James says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. We're to ask with no doubting. Now, it's true. Doubting in and of itself isn't a bad thing. There's, there's times when doubting is good, like if you're on a pond and it's frozen over, but you kind of have doubts that the ice is thick enough. You're, those doubts will save you from falling through, will they not? So doubt isn't necessarily bad, but the doubt that James speaks of here is. The doubt that he's describing um, is informed by another word in our text. It's in verse 8. You see, this the word double-minded. Where, whereas God gives generously with a, a single-mindedness of giving, we can doubt, and that doubt is described as 
double-mindedness. The actual Greek word is dipsychos. It literally means two souls or, or with a divided soul. It's to be in two minds, kind of each facing a different direction, each battling for your soul. What James is probably describing here is more of a kind of a strong doubting. It's a division within a believer that brings about wavering and inconsistency and attitude towards God. James helps us see the outcome of this doubting or this double-mindedness. First is what? Your life is unstable. James says that the one who doubts is like what? Look at that. He says, a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Now, we got a lot of sea around us, a lot of oceans. Chances are you've been on a boat when it was, you know, a storm has just passed through and you're on that boat and you're just moving all over the place, right? No wave is ever the same, right? You're, one moment you're leaning this way, next minute you're leaning that way. James is saying, so is the person who doubts that God will give. The person who asks in faith is what? Giving was, is given wisdom. Plus far more, right? When you have the wisdom from God, you have what? Peace of mind, calmness, contentment, and yes, perhaps even joy in the midst of your trials. But the one who doubts God finds that not only does he lack wisdom, he lacks peace and contentment. His soul is unstable and yes, even fearful. The second result of doubting is what? You end up receiving nothing from the Lord. Verse 7, for that person must not suppose that he would receive anything from the Lord. Why is it that doubters don't receive anything from the Lord in their trials? One, perhaps they just don't even ask, right? They don't ask God for wisdom and they doubt he'll give it. And and if they think he will give wisdom, they think, well, his wisdom won't really matter in my circumstances. They don't like the wisdom that they hear from God. They're double-minded. They doubt. They doubt that they've really heard from God. And so they end up just demanding rescue. And if God won't come to the rescue, they seek to figure out some sort of way to get out of this trouble without ever asking the question with faith, God, will you give me wisdom to understand why this event is happening in my life? Now, I don't know about you, but doubting God's promises seems to creep regularly into my life. How about you? We can hear this today, hear this sermon, and you say, that's the best sermon I ever heard. <laughs> you know, and you walk right out and say, I'm going to trust God with my life and, and ask for wisdom in all circumstances. And then something tomorrow happens, and you're like, oh, God, get me out of this, right? You know, I doubt that you can help me. We're prone to doubt God and his promises when trials come our way, which leads to our final point. When we are tossed about like a wave at sea, What is it that can allay our doubts? It leads us to the anchor. The giving God has given you an anchor to attach yourself to when the storms of life begin to toss you to and fro. The author of the book of Hebrews was concerned in his letter about the people that he was writing to. He was worried that they were going to abandon Christ because of the hardships that had come into their life, because of the suffering that they were enduring. And he called them to trust in God's character, trust in God's promises. And then he pointed them to this truth that that is able to dismantle one's doubts so that we can walk by faith in the midst of our suffering. In Hebrews 6.19, the writer points his readers to Jesus. And what does he call Jesus, 
a sure and steady anchor for the soul. When we face trials that tempt us to doubt, look to Jesus, the sure and steady anchor for our souls. When the waves of life toss us to and fro, look to him. We are to look to Jesus as the anchor of our souls when we doubt because he is faithful towards us. He suffered not for his sake, but for our sakes, so that you and I may be brought back into to God and to, to enjoy life as children of God. God. Jesus endured the agony of the cross, a trial beyond imagination, so that God's plan of redemption could come into this world. Jesus was tossed to and fro by the, by the waves of our sin as he hung on the cross. While hanging on the cross, he did not call out to God for rescue, did he? Oh, there was the night before. He knew it was coming. Remember what he did? He went to the Garden of Gethsemane. What did he do? He prayed. Three times he said, God, if there is, if, in you, if you and your wisdom could come up with some other way than going, for me going to the cross to bring about your good purposes on this earth, Please reveal it to me. But if not, your will be done. What was Jesus asking for? What was he praying for? He's praying for wisdom in the midst of a horrible trial. He asked God for wisdom and he heard from God. There is no other way, Jesus, for me to accomplish my purposes on earth unless you go to the cross. You must do it. And with that word, Jesus and drove the cross and became the anchor for our souls. In the end, Jesus received not rescue, but wisdom. He knew God's perspective. He knew he had to suffer for us. He trusted in the promise that, that he would rise one day and that he would ascend into heaven where he is seated right now, interceding on our behalf, taking our prayers and making them powerful in God's presence. And so when you start to doubt God in the midst of your trials, look to Christ. See Him for who He is for you. He is the anchor for your soul that dispels all doubts from your mind. You might not know fully why you are suffering, but you see your anchor and and you know that He knows all there is about suffering. And then, when you're tempted to think that God couldn't have anything to teach you in your suffering. Look to your anchor of your soul. Remember, perhaps, that Bible verse that says how our founder of our salvation was what? Made perfect through suffering. You remember that verse and you rejoice. My friends, when you find yourself in the middle of a horrible trial, you find yourself starting to doubt God's good intentions for you, look to Christ, the anchor for your soul. See how his suffering was actually God's will. How he endured with hope. So we looked at the allure, the asking, the attitude, and the anchor. The Word of God has shown us that when trials come our way, the best thing we can do is to turn to God and ask for wisdom. And how is it that God answers our prayers for wisdom? Sometimes he might reveal something to you as you are praying. But here's what I've come to find out. His most common way that he gives us wisdom is through the Word of God and the people of God. 
if you think God has directed you in what you're to do, but it doesn't line up with the wisdom of the Bible, then most likely you haven't heard from God. And if and if you run your plans by a mature believer, and they caution you according to Scripture, then you likely haven't heard from God. You are in fact hearing from wisdom from mature believers trying to steer you in a different direction. But there's something about it, though, when we're when when a brother or sister in Christ comes to us and says, I'm worried about the decisions you are making, perhaps with who you're marrying, maybe not marrying a Christian or something. They come to you and they present to you from the word of God, uh, truth from God, wisdom from God. Often what we see is people run away. They want to get away as fast as they can. On the way here, I was watching. There's a lot of geese flying around, and um, you know they're getting these V formations. And and do you know that when a when a goose is flying behind other geese, um, they use 30% less energy to fly. Uh, there's safety and security in that V formation. The amazing thing I I saw was as I'm driving, I looked up, and for some strange reason, a goose turns away from the from the whole group of 30 geese and starts flying all by himself. I'm like, what are you doing? Why would you leave the flock? The same thing, Christian. Why would you leave the flock where there is power and strength in the community that you have here? Um, where there is wisdom that more mature believers can impart to you out of love for you. It might not be right all the time. Yeah, I get it. But there are people here who care for your soul. Uh, they want you to experience the, the peace and the contentment that, that comes from godly wisdom. God gives us his wisdom through his word and through his people. Now, we're going to come to the Lord's table here. Let me ask you, do you want to go forward with God? Do you, are you wholly committed to his ways of seeing things. Are you single-minded in your desire to fulfill God's ambitions for your life? Do you delight in the fact that God cares more about your holiness than your happiness? Do you welcome the work of God in your life as you experience trials? Do you want God and His ways above all else? Or are you keeping a door open for the world? Will you go forward in faith? Or will you be tossed by doubt? You know, recently Linda Dupree um, had a lump in her stomach and she had it examined. And the worst fears came, came true. It was cancer. And I called her to see how she was doing. And yeah, this is, this is what your pastor said. Uh, I said, how, how is it that, that you can live just like kind of knowing that there's these cancer cells in you that are just like devouring your body and, and the doctor says you won't even be able to do anything for weeks or months. That's just got to drive you crazy. Yeah, good bedside manner, right? Huh? <laughs> As the words came out of my mouth, I was like, oh, that was kind of stupid. But her reply was amazing. See, I I thought she would be anxious, but she wasn't. She said this. She said, 
My cancer isn't the last thing I think about when I go to bed, nor is it the first thing I think about when I wake up in the morning. God had given her peace in the midst of her trial. Amazing, right? Let me ask you, do you want that kind of contentment in your life in the midst of trials and suffering? Well, guess what? It's yours for the asking. Our God is the giving God who generously gives wisdom to all who ask without reproach. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words to us. They truly are wisdom for how we can live our lives knowing that you are our Heavenly Father who is the giving God, who gives generously without reproach. You don't hold our sins against us. You've placed them on Christ and we can have confidence then. May we, your church, walk in confidence. May we trust you in the difficulties of our lives. May we experience the fruit of this promise in our lives, that as we pray for wisdom, you gladly give it to us. We thank you in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.